This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, Season 2, Episode 14. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. Also, this is the title sponsor of the podcast now is Excess Sight. So we got to give them our love and appreciation for supporting the podcast. We are recording the show here today on Wednesday, June 16th, 2021, in case you're listening to it after the fact. But I am your host, Riley Bowman. And I'm joined today by a special guest, Hani Mahmood, who is, uh, well, he's going to tell us a little bit more about himself in a moment. You maybe have never heard of the name, but I promise by the end of the episode, you'll you'll remember him because uh, I know it's going to be a good episode. Uh, plus, he's got a, really, a lot of really interesting uh, stuff to share with us today and a unique perspective as well. Today's episode is sponsored and brought to you by the 2021 Guardian Conference in September later this year. Uh, specifically, I think it's uh, September 17th or the 19th, I think are the dates. And Hanny is going to be one of our instructors at that event, which we're really excited for. He and I we were just talking a moment ago about the curriculum that he's going to be teaching, and it's going to be really, really good stuff. We may touch on some of that here today even. Also, oh, and by the way, if you if you want to get signed up for the conference, don't forget that, uh, I mean, tickets are selling and there's still spots now for sure, but no guarantees as to when things will dry up or when our early bird price will go away, which we still do have. So don't forget, get on over to guardianconference.com and sign up today. Uh, I will tease a little bit. I'm going to be cautious with I don't want to overpromise anything whatsoever, but I am working a little side deal to have some ammo available for for uh, conference attendees uh, to be able to purchase. So stay tuned on that. Working on details uh, may have more for you here within the next week or so. So whether you've already purchased ammo for this, sent ammo or whatever. Um, and, you know, there still may be an, uh, an opportunity for you to, so you don't have to deplete your current stores or whatnot, but we'll have a certain amount that up to that you'll be able to purchase for purposes of this conference. Uh, also, today's episode sponsored by Guardian Nation, which, uh, as you know, Guardian Nation members save big on a lot of things, including the Guardian Conference, as well as on things like CCW Safe membership, which we talked about earlier today in the earlier episode, and a ton of other great things, plus access to all online training video content in our Guardian University. So, guys, check out guardiannation.com to learn more. If you need a little push over the the edge here to kick off membership with Guardian Nation, then go to concealedcarry.com forward slash 14 day. And that's not written now. That is one four D-A-Y, concealedcarry.com forward slash one four D-A-Y. And that'll give you an opportunity to set up a free 14 day trial. All righty. So let's get into it again with our special guest, Hanny Mahmood. Hanny, tell us about yourself. Um, well, I'm a Virgo. Um, Virgo, okay, good, good. I, that was not what I was expecting to hear first out uh, of the gate, but um, I'm, I'm Cancer. Nice to meet you. <laughs> I think we're showing our age. 
So, um, <coughs> excuse me. Um, let's see. Um, uh, I've been a law enforcement officer for, um, I lose track. Uh, I, I, I think I, I, yeah, I, I, I'm in my 22nd year now. So, 22 years. That's a bit. Uh, yeah. And the, um, um, the, uh, the last five I've, uh, been full-time, um, um, I've been a full-time firearms instructor at an academy range. So, nice. uh, yeah, it, it, it's a lot of things. Nice is one of them. Um, <laughs> some <laughs> of it isn't, but, but it, it is a, it is a very, very interesting, uh, um, gig. And, you know, I, I've learned more about instructing in the last, you know, five years than, you know, the other probably 13, 14 years combined, mm -hmm. 15. Um, so, um, yeah, so um, I did uh, 17, 17 years of real work. And then uh, uh, the last five years has been um, um, basically as a firearms instructor. And, uh, so, uh, that, that's my full-time gig and, um, it's, it's busier than most because we're a regional academy. So, mm -hmm. you know, if you have a large agency, you know, you, you, you know, you, you may have, you know, a class every, you know, how, however many you're allowed to hire. We mm -hmm. train, uh, we train them for give or take at waffles, probably about 25 agencies. So wow. we that is a lot, actually have two cadet classes on always mm. and they just overlap. Yep. So, um, and, um, you know, the, 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 you know, in, in years past before I went there full time, you know, I taught different subjects as needed though, mainly as a firearms instructor. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then, uh, you know, five and a half years ago, I, I, I transitioned over to them and that's what I do full time. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, 98% of what I do is, is, is teach firearms. Um, yeah. um, uh, the cadet level, uh, the in-service level, these are working officers that are there for more training, uh, remedial, uh, maybe a certification and then, um, at an instructor level. So they're there to learn to take the state mandated curriculum to become a firearms instructor. Mm -hmm. So that is most of what I do. And uh, I'm sure um, you, you, obviously you and, and others are probably familiar with um, my uh, uh, very good uh, buddy, Steve Moses. And yep. uh, Steve has a, uh, a company called Palisades Training Group. And um, in the last two years, I, uh, I, I've been teaching for him, um, you know, probably, I don't know, two classes a year, three classes a year. Um, and so in the last couple of years, I've started doing non-law enforcement teaching again. Mm -hmm. I did it. I did it for probably close to eight or nine years, had my own training company and I enjoyed it. Uh, to me, it was like, um, not like a hobby, but it was like, um, it was like uh, relief. It was, mm -hmm. you know, it was relief from the job from work because I, I really did enjoy teaching. And then, um, you know, at, after I was promoted a couple of times, I had no time. 
And so I, I, I gave it up. I, and I, and I did not teach a non-law enforcement class for, I think seven years Mm. until, uh, uh, I think Steve coerced me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, coerced isn't right. More like blackmailed, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, to his, to his eternal credit, Steve is always good about, you know, giving sage advice and then kind of forcing you to do the right thing. And so anyway, so in the last couple of years, I've started uh, doing um, non-law enforcement training and um, really started to remember how much I enjoy it because it's, um, um, it's, 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 it's different. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So that's, um, that, that, that's, uh, that's most of my background. Um, I, I've trained a lot. I've trained a lot with a lot of people. Um, um, uh, which doesn't necessarily mean competence, but it does mean that I've stayed in a lot of bad hotel rooms. Um, <laughs> um, and I got into taking long, uh, taking firearms training before I ever pinned on a badge. So I went to Thunder Ranch twice mm. before I went down that career path. And, um, and, um, and so on. So, um, what, what, what made you do that? Uh, the, the training part or the career path part? Uh, well, I guess it could be both, but like, you know, so for me, it wasn't until I got into law enforcement that I took training seriously eventually. Mm-hmm. Right. So that, that was a little bit reverse for me, but yeah. you took some quality training yeah. before you became a law enforcement officer. So I'm just curious, like, how, like, what, what inspired you to do that? Uh, I think two things. Um, so I, I, um, you know, it, it's difficult, you know, in one's, um, like shooting career to, to try to mark the date. Well, when did I become a serious student? You know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, so, but for me, I think it probably started in, in the, uh, probably the early nineties. And I was still in college, and I was in college at Arizona State, you know, go Sun Devils. And um, to those of you who aren't familiar with Arizona, you know, outside of the Grand Canyon and stuff, uh, more importantly than the Grand Canyon is that it really was a mecca of good shooters. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. uh, Absolutely it was. And and so uh, one of the famous, you know, uh, clubs that was there was called the Rio Salado Sportsman's Club. Yep. And I would go to their Tuesday night steel match. Now, to any normal human being, the Tuesday night steel match at your club is like 18 guys. Yep. Their Tuesday night match was like 130 dudes. It was like a state match. And it's and it's still like that to this day. It, yeah, right. And I, like, and I haven't been to it in 25 years. Uh, and that was the Tuesday night match every yep. Tuesday. And I got to see, you know, you know, I got to see Rob Latham and 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 Brian Enos and 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 just a, a whole host of guys, and um, and uh, and that's when I was like, I always liked to shoot. I liked firearms. I liked stuff like that. Once I started going and doing that, uh, that that I think that that somewhere in that period is where I went. No, I no, I actually don't just like going to shoot. I actually want to get better. So that's when I really started to work on it in whatever ways that I could 
in the early 90s, which I think then was watching people and the occasional VHS tape. <laughs> like the old Lenny McGill tapes? The Lenny McGill tapes. Uh, yeah. uh, Rob Latham, Shooter Ready. Um, yeah. That stuff. Yeah. And, and, so, and, then, and then going out and, and, and shooting with some of these guys. And um, so I did that. And, um, you know, I, I finished college, uh, moved to Texas, uh, and so on. And um, I was living in Austin for a year and a half. And Thunder Ranch had probably been open about, this would be, what, 94-ish? I think it had probably been open maybe a couple of years. I think it maybe opened in 92-ish, something like that. Sounds about right. And anyway, so in 95, I went and, and my attitude was kind of like, yeah, that's not like competitive shooting, but good shooting is good shooting. And, uh, you know, especially when I was in college, I would have loved to have gone to gunsight back in the day, so to speak. Um, but, um, um, you know, I didn't. And so I, you know, I, I, and I pieced it together, you know, it, it's, uh, uh, newly married living in a 400 square foot apartment uh you know i pieced together the money uh, i hand loaded all my ammo for mm -hmm. the class um and so on and i took some kind i think it was like defensive handgun or something from clint smith and, and and that was the first training i took and then um and then just after i moved up to the dallas fort worth area uh just after it uh i i think it was either i think it was 1997 i went down and took a, a, a team tactics class and that's where i met steve moses mm. We, we, we met as both students in the class. So uh, the reason I took training was because it, it seemed to me like um, uh, I, I, I can't, I, you know, I've been doing my best to watch and learn. I've been doing my best to do this, that, and the other. And this seemed like a good idea. Uh, l learn from somebody really good. And, uh, and, and I, I think that it was um, um, money well spent and it was time well spent. Um, you know, the, the, the nuances that people now really get wrapped up in as to, you know, whether it's Weaver or not Weaver or 1911 or not 1911 or 45 or not 45 or all of that insanity. Um, the fact is, I, I, I went to a place where there was an organized curriculum of how you do stuff. You had a way to do stuff. Hmm. Um, um, and... Um, and the, 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 you know, of course, his his main aspect was how do you fight with a gun? So anyway, so I thought it was yeah. uh, it was really good. And, to, and I still think to this day, you know, uh, uh, you know, that's probably a good place to go in terms of just, you know, it's kind of an immersion. in this is how you learn to fight with a pistol. And keep in mind also that there were not that many options back then. Mm hmm. But, and that's why I asked, like, what inspired you to do this? Because, because that it was a different time then, and, yeah. and options, like you said, were very much limited. Um, we are kind of in the training heyday now. Oh yeah, uh, it, which is very different from twenty, twenty five, thirty years ago. Yep. Um, um, in terms of schools that you know had a physical location. For the longest time, it was just gunsight, and then you know over a Rogers. Uh, go ahead, sir. Rogers. Yeah, at, Been around over a, while. a period of time. Then you had Rogers. You had Mid South. You had the Chapman Academy, and probably the Smith and Wesson Academy, and Thunder Ranch and Gunsight. And that was that was pretty much it. Yeah. Um, 
Marty Hayes up in Seattle has been at it for a long time, but he wasn't as well known and he was more known regionally, but there, there, there just, there weren't that many. And then in terms of good instructors who are on the road, uh, there were probably even less, uh, you know, the original, the original is probably John Farnham, you know, mm-hmm. who, who always was an on the road teacher and, um, and so on. And, um, so that's what inspired me because I really liked the, uh, the, the, the shooting and shooting well part. And then in the back of my mind was I, law enforcement was really what always interested me. And so, so smartly what I did is I went to grad school instead. Hey, hey that's, that's good. And Three months after I graduated my master's degree, I was in the police academy. So <laughs> I don't well, think it's a recommended path, but that, that's, that's how I got to it. It's a more expensive way of getting to that path, but it, it can it can pay dividends in the long run. And in many ways, it did. Uh, you know, when people ask me, you know, um, you know, uh, you know, they they ask me, you know, sometimes uh, some variation of. I don't know. Uh, I don't know how to put it. Like maybe what makes you unique or whatever. And the thing that occurs to me is that I've been a student as a law enforcement guy and as a law enforcement guy, not uh, as, you know, as law enforcement and non-law enforcement. And I've been an instructor for law enforcement and non-law enforcement. So I, I, I've, I've, I've done all four pieces of the pie. And, and so I think that that's really helped me um, be a better instructor. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. You know, and, and we all have uh, and come from unique backgrounds of various uh, types, uh, and we're all unique in our own ways. And speaking of which, speaking of unique, uh, I know that coming up in life was different and unique for you compared to the average American. So, and, if, and in fact, I have a question specifically from our friend Brian Eastridge. <laughs> yeah, I see that face. Brian says, you have to ask Hanny, how did you get to the United States? <laughs> Lufthansa. Nice. <laughs> Literally the airplane. Okay. Yeah, that, that, that makes sense. I got tired of people asking me, so um, what brought you here? <laughs> how did you go? Lufthansa. And and that pretty much ended the conversation. (laughs) (laughs) But you mentioned to me that you you uh, you spent some time, yeah, uh, growing up in in a number of uh, countries. Um, You know, so I'm kind of curious a little bit about that. I mean, feel free to share whatever you're comfortable sharing. Um, But but I I find that a person's background and and kind of where they came from really. I mean, it's the foundation for a lot of the rest of our life. It, it forms a, yeah. their own unique perspective. And, uh, you know, I, I'm kind of curious about where you came from and, and that and how that sort of translated into your life's goals and how you ended up now being a 20 plus year uh, law enforcement veteran and, and instructor and all that. Um, so, uh, the, the, you know, the brief, the, briefly, my that 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 bio is I was uh, born in Libya, and um, and my father was a diplomat, and so my dad 
lived in various parts of the world as his assignments took him. So mm -hmm. I'm the youngest of four. So before I was born, uh, there's lots of cool places that, um, you know, uh, either my dad went to alone because it was not considered like a place to take a family or that, you know, they all went, but it was before I was born. So um, for those of you who are old enough to remember who Leonid Brezhnev was, I have a picture on my mantle of my dad with Brezhnev in 1961 mm. because there were exactly three guys in the Libyan embassy, <laughs> mm. very small embassy. And, uh, you know, in, in the diplomat world, to people who don't understand, uh, don't know about it, when you go to a country, you, they do a ceremony where you present your diplomatic credentials and they are accepted. It, it, it's, I, get, I think we've been doing this probably 250 years. Mm -hmm. And and so I, I've got a picture of, uh, uh, I think there's seven people in the picture and um, there's two people seated. One was the Libyan ambassador, one was Brezhnev, and then there's my dad and another guy on the other side. And there's like four Russians behind Brezhnev. So, um, so that was like 1961 Moscow, well before I was born. Uh, and then, you know, he went on to different places. When I was born, um, the first place they sent him I think after that was Syria. So I actually lived in Syria in the first couple of years of my life. And, uh, you know, after that, it was uh, a few years in Egypt. After that was Malaysia. So I lived in Southeast Asia for six years. Hmm. Um, and then after that, that was about 1980, 1981. And as you can tell by, like, the dates, you know, um, you know, Gaddafi came to power in 1969, uh, exactly three days after I was born. So I feel like I was like the harbinger of something bad. But <laughs> uh, uh, so by, by, by about 1980, um, if you're of this older guard, uh, Gaddafi basically kind of called you home. And that was pretty much the end of your career. Mm. So uh, so we moved back to Libya in 1981. And so again, since I'm the youngest of four, my other three brothers had all like finished high school and we're all in college here. And so I got to experience the, the magic of, of, of Libya between 1981 and 1985. Mm. <laughs> and uh, that, that uh, I don't wish on anyone, but mm. it was very formative in terms of my life experience. And then in 85, I got the unique opportunity to get out, which is almost a James Bond story, mm. but you know, yeah, not nearly as entertaining. And um, and then I came to the U.S., finished high school, went to college, you know, and then the rest of the life began. Mm -hmm. But in terms of my background affecting things like that, it's like, you know, when when, you know, I was in college and then I was in grad school. And then as I was finishing grad school, uh, it was like, so what are you going to do? And it was like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go into law enforcement. And, you know, as worldly as my parents are because they're both alive to this day, uh, 183, 189, mm. um, that uh, they, they just, you know, having lived, I mean, they'd lived anywhere from like Switzerland, Greece, uh, places like that to, you know, Syria, Egypt, um, and other corners of the globe, where this is not an honorable profession. It just isn't. Mm. And, and to them, it was very difficult to understand that why one would want to do that. Um, but they got over it. Uh, 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 but 
I think one of the things that uh, really pushed me was uh, especially those four years of living in Libya, because the things that one saw there, they were, I mean, the exact opposite of a, uh, in simplicity, a free and just society in, in every way, hmm. in ways that people can't imagine in terms of how horrible they were, or they can't imagine them in terms of how silly they were. Like, you weren't able to have a computer. You had to have a license to have a photocopy machine. Hmm. Because potentially, you see, if you have a photocopy machine, you could mass print something and you know give yeah. it out to people. So yeah. in ways that you wouldn't even think of repression. Like, really, you control printers? But you know, that 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 that's where I grew up, you know, between 12 and just almost 16. And in in addition to stuff that was actually actually horrible, you know, like you know, public executions and you know, people who disappear in the night never to be heard from again, and some of them relatives, and some of them, you know, just people that you knew, and st stuff like that. And um, mm. and so, you know, the, 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 the idea of being, uh, without sounding too much like a white knight, but the idea of being on the cause of right, on the side of right, on the side of making things right, was hugely appealing to me. And, mm. and... Uh, that that was that part of it. That and I really like to shoot. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it, little of this, little of that. But yeah. that, that that that's 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 how it happened. Uh, that's interesting. Yeah. Um. So you go into Thanks, law enforcement. <laughs> uh, you go into law enforcement. You uh, uh, you know, become an instructor at some point. When would you say you really started taking? training seriously in your um, career? Uh, uh, you know, probably okay, so I, you know, I started trying to practice seriously as a result of like my exposure to these real good shooters. Right. But I, and I think I did you know, better than most at, you know, improving by monkey see monkey do. Mm. But still um you know, went to Thunder Ranch a couple times and I met Steve and in a phone conversation, we touched base because we both lived up in the same place here. And Steve, you know, had a instructing company then. And he was like, hey, um, you know, like, I think it was like eight months from now, uh, I'm host and uh, I'm hosting John Farnham mm. for a shotgun school. And just by the way, I, I actually skipped a day in the academy, claimed mm. I was sick. Oh, because. <laughs> John's class was three days, so I needed an extra day. But are we beyond the statute of limitations? I believe on we that? are, and, and and the cause was just, as they said. <laughs> and, and so, yeah, I, I was very serious about it by then, for sure. And then I really, really tried to um, go go train with somebody and practice, practice, practice. Go train with somebody, practice, 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 and uh, you know. Uh, uh, thanks to, uh, you know, the wonders of a Dylan reloading press, uh, you know, I, yeah. I, I could afford to do it. Um, <laughs> and, um, um, in terms of at least uh, the ammo part. And yeah. so, um, yeah. And, and so that by then I, I trained as much as I could afford because, you know, as you know, agencies are not real high on spending 
real money. By that, I mean, oh, well, you know, if you take an in-house class for a few days, that's kind of an expenditure of money, but not in terms of giving you the tuition, the per diem, and the cost of the hotel mm-hmm. to go someplace. Travel. They're not real yeah. high on that. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I, you know, I worked off-duty jobs and I did whatever. And, um, you know, as most people who know me will tell you, uh, I'm not into cars and I'm not really into fashion. So that's where my money went. And uh, so I ended up, you know, within, you know, probably my first five years, you know, by the first five years on the job, you know, other than what I'd done before, you know, I trained with John Farnham, I trained with Louis Auerbach, I trained with Mm -hmm. uh, Max Joseph, I trained with... um, uh, Tom Givens, I trained with, and this is all within the first five years. Mm. Um, and others that I'm sure that I, I, I'm overlooking at, 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 uh, 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 uh Andy Brosnan ba- uh, back in the days of the tactical explosive entry school, uh, uh, stuff like that. And in, and, um, so the interesting thing in Texas as a peace officer is you can't become an instructor until you have two years on. And you can't become a firearms instructor until you've been an instructor for a year. Mm. But they dispense with all of that if you have a master's degree. <laughs> Whatever sense that makes. <laughs> so within my first eight this guy isn't, months. This guy isn't a complete moron. So. I, I suppose. So within the first 18 <laughs> months of being having a badge pinned on me, I was an instructor and a firearms instructor. Nice. Yeah. And, 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 and I had a boss who was like, uh, yeah, the, the, please take this off my hands kind of thing. Mm. So I really learned as I went. And, and then I think like in 04, I, I took the FBI's, uh, farms instructor school and, uh, you know, I, I, I just, um, yeah, I know I was a wheeler dealer too. I, I would, I would, I would, you know, I would, you know, make a deal with the boss with like, okay, tell you what, give me the ammo and give me the days off. I'll do the tuition. And he'd go, okay. So yeah, yeah. I, I would, it wasn't just a yes, no. I I, <laughs> I, I would just keep negotiating until, <laughs> uh, you know, and, and if I could get some help that, that, you know, yeah. that might be half of it. Right. Absolutely. And, um, and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, so I trained as much as I could and, um, mm. learned a lot and, um, and, and, you know, then, then started teaching and became an adjunct instructor at the Academy where I'm at now full time. Probably, I think by '04, hmm. um, or somewhere around there. So that that that's how I got started down that road. Hmm. Um, and then and then you know, there's other training that I didn't just have an interest in, but it was kind of necessary. Um, other than having an interest in it, we we by necessity uh, had to form essentially an SRT. Right. So it was a different word for a SWAT. Uh- Special response team. Yeah. And, and we had some uh, very certain reasons for it. And, um, and so, you know, what I could like, um, coerce the county into, into paying for, I would. And what I couldn't, I would, I would, uh, I, I would just go. So that's when I branched into not just like shooting skills and whatever, but no, this is like, this is a high risk entry class. This is a manual breaching class. This is a, um, uh, I took Paul Howe's shotgun breaching class, which was a lot of fun, uh, <laughs> all kinds of stuff like that. And, and I had the interest and I had the need and, um, I had the inclination. Cool. And luckily the opportunity. So, right. 
that that's um, that's kind of my background, which yeah. is very hard to encapsulate into anything. Yeah. Well, and and I'll just throw out there. Uh, I know, looking at your bio right now, that uh, you were a third place finisher at the 2019 TACCON. Uh, competition, a tactical conference, and and that's no small cheese. Like there's good shooters uh, there. So yeah, I uh, think I got pretty lucky. Uh, we we had I think we had over 120 shooters or so, mm-hmm. and uh, um, I finished behind uh, two two fine gentlemen, Chris Serino, who's a who's an instructor, mm-hmm. and uh, a gentleman from the Northwest named Rick Remington, mm-hmm. and um, uh, but uh, yeah, I I. Uh, I I, I, I had a good day. Yeah, that's awesome. No, that's, we shouldn't sell you short. Now, all this to, to say, all right, so Hanny, you know a thing or two about a thing or two with, uh, you know, handling yourself around a gun or, or whatnot. So, you know, we, we titled this episode Top Five Forks in the Shooting Road that Were Mistakes. Uh, so I'd like to hear the first one at this point. And I, I presume, I mean, you you actually came up with this topic. I was like, that's that's awesome. That's perfect. Plus, it's a pretty catchy, like, clickbait-type title. What can you, I say? I should have been on Mad Men. <laughs> but uh, what what would be the first fork in your road that you uh, wish you, had, you could go back and take the other path? <laughs> first of all, I will say that I'm not going to admit that these were all forks I took. Okay, oh, that's fair. That's fair. I, I'm not going to admit nor uh, confirm nor deny a counselor. <laughs> yeah. uh, because the truth is, uh, probably some of them I didn't, some of them I observed, but certainly mm-hmm. many of them I did. Um, yep, that's, all, that's all fair. It's all uh, on the table. Um, I'll tell you a fork that is very well intentioned, but it's not a good one, which is you find a good instructor. Now, that sounds like a great thing until you just keep training with that guy. Mm. And, and, and it's the first couple times it's magic. I mean, cause if, the, if that is a good instructor, that's a good instructor. Right. And, and, um, and it's not a matter of not naming names cause it, it, it doesn't, it isn't about any one person because it's about the students. It's not about the instructor, but you know, we've seen like the phenomenon and I'm sure you have where it, it's almost like they start acting like the instructor, like yep. they take on. You name it. Uh, well, they become acolytes of that. There you go. Instructor. Is that is that a too big of a word? No, wait. You got a master's degree. <laughs> yeah, yeah no, that, that, that's a that, that's a good one. And, and and I promise later to throw in paradigm. Just, <laughs> yeah. but um, yeah, and they, they literally become acolytes. It's like they are they are like in a religious seminary of training. Mm-hmm. And it's like there is an end that you're going to reach with this guy to reach like your black beltedness, and that that is a fork that I I never got too deep down, but I started to, but I started to recognize that guys would brag that they had trained with this guy nine times, and I'm thinking. Hmm. Yeah. Right. I mean, and again, it was, it was literally just a, Hmm. Like I, I hadn't even formed a, a completely negative opinion. It was just, uh, Hmm. Uh, okay. Let me think about that. Um, um, 
And so that that is a fork that I've seen other people go 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 down that road. And and you know they, then then they try to do that, and that is the font of all wisdom. And I think that that's a mistake that uh, uh, a lot of people make. Um, mm-hmm. um, and to your point, it's not again, it's not anything against that instructor, but the yeah. way I look at it, Hanny, is that uh, uh, it's almost like they're 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 they they are they're almost the victim of being a good instructor. If that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, to be fair as an instructor, like we appreciate repeat business. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, and I'm not going to turn you down at the same time. Uh, you know, th- I have a certain perspective. You yeah. have a certain perspective. Other top names in the, in-, in the industry teaching classes, they all have their own perspectives on and, and different approaches of how they do things. And if you just keep taking classes from the same dude again and again and again and again, you're not going to like, you're going to be pretty boxed in and, and limited in your, in your own perspective. Yeah. Uh, I used to refer to this as my sensei can beat up your sensei. <laughs> and yeah, it's like, I'm pretty sure neither sensei is going to be here to help me. on the day. So. <laughs> My dad can beat up your dad. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's that's kind of how I refer to it. So that that that, yeah. that that's 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 one fork that I've seen some people go down. And you know what? In terms of like the the um, in terms of the uh, a person who wants to be a better shooter, better prepared to deal with life uh, altering, deadly force issues, whatever. And the guy's a good instructor. If you train with him nine times, you know, you're ahead of the vast majority mm-hmm. of people. It, it, but it, is there a better road? Yes, definitely. Absolutely, positively, there's a better road. Now, um, so, so that, 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 that's a good one. Um, the second one, I think, that probably occurs to me, and it's related to the first, but it's separate, it's the gear is kind of like uh, driven by that person that you keep training under. Mm. Okay. And it becomes like, um, how do you put this? Uh, It's almost like you have to have the complete GI Joe kit. Mm -hmm. And so, and this is not to make, Fun of Gunsight or Jeff Cooper, and I and I'll speak to that specifically in a little while. But so, like when I started, you know, trying to go train and stuff, it was still the era where there were dudes that look they had to have a 1911 that was set up a certain way, mm-hmm. and then you, you know you had to have a shotgun, and the shotgun had to have a van comped barrel, and it had to have ghost string sights. And it was just like a formula, and you had to have these things. And my favorite of all was the scout rifle, <laughs> yep, etc. Uh, and it was just like, uh, uh, yeah, you you didn't have you didn't have the right stuff if you didn't have that stuff. And that was a little bit arbitrary because I think you know e- every every person is trying to teach the best that they can, but you you can emulate not just that stuff but then you start emulating the gear that may not work for you mm-hmm. at all and um until you 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 um you know you find you know stuff that works for you uh you know i, I have i've got close friends of mine you know i grew up in the era 
where, you know, the first thing I carried concealed was a 1911 and a summer special. And I've got close buddies that no matter what they do, they cannot put, you know, an inside the waistband summer special at about 334 o'clock. It kills them. Mm -hmm. Okay, I get it. It doesn't work for them. So, you, you know, they, they found their solutions. But when some people kind of look at it and say, well, that you know, no, this is the way. And there's only the one way, et cetera. So the gear also is is a is kind of like a bad fork when you just start buying into that. And then which leads into kind of like that the gear is the road to competence. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Gear and and that's perhaps the third fork, uh, maybe, and maybe it's related. But the thing is, is that the you start seeing better gear. And then you determine that, um, you know, uh, that, that, that's what's holding you back. Mm -hmm. Now, I will say we have seen people that, yes, their gear is holding them back. But what percentage is that? It's, it's a pretty small percentage. Yeah. Right? So, you know, when you tell a dude, okay, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're competent. You're shooting really well. Yeah, that, that Smith & Wesson Sigma. Is not a great idea, and neither is that Phobos holster. And you know we're we're going to move on from here. Uh, so yeah, certainly you know gear can be a deal, but but uh, yeah, I've seen people where yeah, it, it's you know I, I need this, I need this, I need this, I need this, and yeah. and the thing that helped me was that um, I I shot Ipsic semi seriously, you know, like uh, maybe a match a month sometimes two matches a month. I, that's, that's fairly serious yeah. in yeah. the nineties, uh, early to mid nineties. Well, the only thing that interested me was like, I think, I think it was stock then. I don't think it was even limited. Mm -hmm. And I was not interested in race guns. I watched them break down all the time. I watched weirdness happen to them and so on. So to me, it's like once I had, and of course it was a 1911, um, that was a good pistol. It, you know, had a good fit barrel. It had checkering. It had good sights. That's it. The gun ran good. After that, my interest was how many primers can I buy? Uh, who has the best deal on powder? Mm -hmm. And you know, uh, uh, and back then you had to find a good local caster. Again, I'm showing my age because back then uh, the post office did not have flat rate shipping. Yep. So yeah. nowadays you buy bullets from Washington State; they cost the same. Because yep. they put them in the same box that the mailman hates, right? Yeah, oh, they didn't yeah. have that back then. Oh, yeah. They hate I, it. I just had two of them delivered last week. <laughs> exactly. Every time but I'm like, oh, then, that, that poor sucker. <laughs> exactly. So back then, they didn't have that. You had to buy bullets locally or else the shipping killed you. So, yeah. so it was like, how many primers can I afford? And who, who makes bullets locally that are good? And then, you know. Um, that's what I was interested in spending my money on because once I realized that there really wasn't, you know, I couldn't really make my pistol any more competitive in terms of the, what class I was interested in shooting in. So that, that's something that helped me because I wasn't interested in that. But, but I, I remember, I remember talking to a guy one time and, uh, uh, you know, uh, this is probably 94 and he was shooting a compensated pistol in open class. And he's like, yeah, you know, I, I, I you know, I can't remember what it was. And, and he said something like, yeah, you know, this pistol's really what's holding me back from making A-class. And I'm thinking, dude, you're shooting a compensated gun. 
and so is everybody else. Okay. And Rob Latham can shoot circles around the both of us without any of it. So mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure that's not what's holding you back. Yep. So, um, so I didn't get too caught up in that. Um, and, uh, that is something that I see often. And I know guys that should know better. I know guys that should know better. And these are serious dudes that I've trusted my life to, but they will still sink like 900 bucks into their Glock. And, yep. uh, you know, I've been shooting Glocks as long as, almost as long as I've been shooting 1911. So I'm over 30 years now on both. Um, yeah, you know, there's this and that, but you know, once the trigger is reasonably shootable and you know, you have good sights that you can see, uh, you know, what do you need traction? Okay. Traction's good. But you know, when you start putting more slots in the slide and, and you know, the, the, and all this stuff and it's like, it, 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 it drives me nuts. And it's like, okay. So do you realize you could have taken two good classes for the cost of what you did there? And before ammo went crazy with ammo. So, you know, a class that was 300 bucks, you know, that's 300, 300, that's 600. And 2,000 rounds of ammo would have probably been about, uh, at the time, probably about 500 bucks. So there you go. 1,100 bucks. That would have been two classes. Two three-day classes from, you know, or two-day classes from somebody really good. But instead, yeah. you have this. Now, I'm not, not making fun of dudes who mod their guns and do stuff to it because I, I, you know, A, the first rule of public speaking is know your audience. And I've seen your robo sig. <laughs> but you're, shoot, you're shooting, and, and I mean this uh, in no way facetiously, you're shooting at a level where, you know, when, when you do a mod and it changes things for you by three to five one hundredths of a second that's an advantage yeah to to most people not only is that not an, an, an advantage in any way for what they're doing they're not actually going to get that either they're, yeah. they're not actually going to get that thing that you got out of it yeah. and so i i see that as um uh you know you go down the road of i, I need more gear i need more guns i need the better gun i need the better uh, whatever and um it, it, over the years it's made my gun simpler and simpler and simpler and the mm -hmm. pistol that i'm carrying right now well one one of them <laughs> is is a g45 that's what i'm carrying right now mm -hmm. it is completely and utterly stocked out of the box obviously with the exception of sights it's got good sights on it mm -hmm. that's it and it does have a light on it but, you know, these fifth-gen Glocks are more accurate than any other Glocks. They're, they're noticeably more accurate. I've had no issues with them. I like how they changed the back strap a little bit. I like how they got rid of the finger grooves. It's accurate. It's reliable. The trigger out of the box actually came out to five pounds, nine ounces. You know, the classic five and a half pounds. Mm -hmm. It's actually five and a half pounds. <laughs> Amazingly, right? <laughs> and, um, it, 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 and I still shoot a lot of different guns because I'm just, you know, um, um, a gun nut and a and an enthusiast but but in terms of like like what i carry it's starting to get simpler and simpler and um i, I have uh you know an awesome uh glock with a agency slide with cuts 
It's got an agency compensator. It has a, um, a uh, RMR. And I can do some amazing shooting with that. Like, you know, you know, you do stuff at a hundred yards with a pistol and people just, you mm-hmm. know, think you're insane. Right. Yep. And I, I love it. And, and, and I do still sometimes carry it and so on, but mainly I use it for teaching red dot. Yep. But I don't necessarily, um, um, like feel like that, that that's like an edge. Um, so mm-hmm. I don't know how many we've done. Maybe three. Well, yeah, I mean, so if we were to kind of review what we've covered so far, which I think is all very valid and relevant stuff, uh, first was uh, being careful, not basically locking yourself into one instructor, one school, one way of doing things. Second piece was kind of related to that a little bit uh, as far as being careful to, um, you know, like the tendency then would be to sort of adopt the – the, the gear choices, I mean, it's like your example of Jeff Cooper was spot on with that uh, because like you can spot a fan of Jeff Cooper's and, and nothing against Jeff Cooper or Gunsight, okay? But you can spot somebody that obviously is an acolyte of Gunsight when they're carrying a 1911 and a Yakui slide holster, <laughs> you know, and you're like, I know you, I know wh- who, where you came from. I, you like, like that, that is, that is a tell just like any other tell. Um, and so, you know, being open to that, there are more options, more solutions out there. Yeah. Um, and especially in today's world, there's like, it's, it's one thing like 20 years ago, 30 years ago when there wasn't really much in the way of concealed carry gear. Oh yeah. And now like, we're in the heyday of concealed carry equipment. Uh, we really are. I, I actually still have three uh, Mad Dog holsters. Mm. You remember those? Yeah, yeah. They were some it's of been, the original, that, that, It's been a while. Yeah, there was some of the original Kydex, and it was because he was using them for knife sheaths. Yep. And and a couple of those were actually good designs. I still have three of them left. So. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, then that's that's yeah, like. That goes back to when, I mean, dudes were just figuring stuff out yeah. and, and literally making stuff in their garages yeah. and basements. I mean, there's still a lot of that today too, but, yeah. but we're, we're, again, like I said, there, there's, there's mainstream companies now that are putting out really good product that are, you know, coming out of warehouses that are 20,000 square feet with 50 employees, you know? Yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then the third thing was, you know, kind of related to the second thing about not getting caught in the trap of trying to chase skill through equipment or equipment upgrades. Yeah. Dude, you know, people, some, you know, and I appreciate the kind words about my shooting. I mean, I, I've worked hard to get to where I am and I continue to work very hard because I, I have specific goals that I'm trying to personally achieve. Um, but, one of the things for me for a long time was I was very resistant to shooting anything, but a completely stock pistol. Sure. Uh, I was convinced that, you know, like I was going to master the pistol and like whatever the pistol is in my hand, like that's the tool, that's the tool I've got. And, you know, like it's, it's a gun. So figure out how to shoot, shoot it. And it is what it is. I remember the first 
what I would call modification I ever did to a pistol was I added uh, a grip tape or skateboard mm-hmm. tape. That was the first thing. And that was, I was years into shooting. I was a couple of years into competitive shooting even when I was like, I feel like I could use a little more grip for my, particularly my support hand. And yeah. so I added a little grip tape and was like, oh, wow, yeah. that made a difference. Um, but I was at a point at that time where I could appreciate and recognize the difference that it did make. And I'd done that even three years, four years previously, maybe I would have noticed a little, but like, I it certainly would have been like, Oh, that's more grippy. Like that's gotta yeah, be a yeah. good thing. Right. But I could actually see the difference in my sights. Like as I was tracking the gun in movement, like, wow, I've got much, you know, like things are just a lot more, I would say, sure. Like I was a lot more sure in how the yeah. gun was consistently moving in my hands because because it wasn't moving, right? You know, so yep. anyway. Yeah, those are the three uh, things we heard so far. While we're talking, uh, my, my phone is uh, uh, a little bit low, so I'm going to move to a seat that I can plug my phone in. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, that's all good. Um, I'll, give you, I'll give you an example. I was taking a class, and I, uh, um, I, I, I think it was with, um, if I remember correctly, I, I think it was with, um, I think it was an Ernest Langdon class. Mm. And the thing was, is that, uh, you know, there was a guy in there and, um, you know, what happened was uh, he brought a pistol with him. Pardon me for just a second. There we go. And so he he brought a pistol with him that was a, um, you know, one of the nice CZs. Uh, You know, I I, I don't know what the stock two or something Mm -hmm. like that. Right. But he was not used to running a cocked and locked pistol. And that thing, you know, especially you know, like the, the stock two and the stock three, the trigger, the trigger's pretty, pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. And and you know, we and I and I'm seeing reholstering going on with the safety off. And I'm seeing rehol, you know, and it and it was just like, um, the 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 connection of of look, it's like. It's cool that you can afford the gun. It's cool that you like to shoot. And it's really cool that you're taking training. But those three things together, when it's a class about, you know, how to better defend yourself, how to better shoot, how to better manage, things like that. Yeah, that, that was not the time and place to bring a new pistol and a new holster that you just spent 1900 bucks on. It, ju- it just, that, that's not the time or the place for it. Yep. Um, and before we move on to, like, the other thing, I'll, I'll tell you the, the the first time I went to Thunder Ranch, and they, you know I, I I feel like I'm name dropping, but it, but there's a lesson here. Um, I, I I was sitting there, and you know like a lunch break moment, and I was actually you know talking to Clint Smith, and Clint Smith said something. I don't know if he's said it to other people, but he said it to me, he goes, "Jeff Cooper is the McDonald's of firearms training." And you know what is our first thought when we think of a McDonald's burger? Probably not like our favorite thing, right? Like, right. hey, your last meal, you want a McDonald's burger? No. <laughs> but what he said, he goes, he goes, that is not in any way a um, like anything derogatory about the man. He goes, what I mean by that is he invented the industry. Mm-hmm. He invented, he said, this that you see all around us, 
He goes, he invented this. This, this did not exist. Uh, you would build a facility uh, with ranges and buildings and, and indoors and this and that, and you could go there and you could train. Um, that didn't exist before gun sighting. And so that was the thing. And he meant it as a compliment. And so the thing is, is that, um, you know, Jeff Cooper, we, we all owe a lot to him and, and that cadre of instructors that came under him and after him, people like, uh, you know, Ken Hackathorn and, and, uh, Louis Arbuck, who I trained with and, um, you know, lots of people like that. But the thing that people lose sight of is, uh, with gear, with whatever, especially with firearms is, People don't understand that they use they use what they use because it was the best thing that was available. Yep. Now, after a certain number of years, you get comfortable with it, you get used to it, uh, you bond with it, and you have no reason to change. Okay. So, um, really, how many American-made pistols were there in the '60s and '70s? Semi-autos that were worth carrying. There weren't really very many. I mean, yeah. you, you basically had the Smith & Wesson series, which yep. the early ones were very, very iffy. Yep. Um, you know, uh, and then, you know, even though Browning High Powers weren't made here, but, you know, Browning High Powers in 1911s, and if you tune them right, they, they were they were solid. Yep. Um, and so on. And so they used the best thing that they could. And now then 15 or 20 la- years later in, that's what they're used to. So I, I don't have a problem with them used to using that equipment because they're very comfortable with it and that was what was best at the time so uh, without getting too esoteric some people lose sight of that and the best example i can give you is when the fbi's hrt was formed um do you do, do you know what they carried when they were formed didn't uh they carry 1911s no riding high powers oh okay i did not know that high powers. Yeah. i did not know that and you know why because they went and trained with the SAS. Mm. Now, here's the question. Why mm. did the SAS use the Browning High Power? Because it's the only pistol they had in inventory. <laughs> so, what, so it, the point is, like so it wasn't because it was... Reason. Yeah. Well, and it's it, like, so we, we, we want to carry the same thing. And it's yep. like, dude, they carried them because they only had one pistol inventory. If you uh, listen to Larry Vickers uh, talk about, you know, Delta, Delta and their first pistols, um, what they did is they 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 looked into the military system, and uh, the military had uh, you know hundreds at the time of like what you know they called match match grade guns mm. that were made for bullseye, and they just I can't remember the number he said he goes we we requisitioned like sixty of them or eighty of them, and then we had our armors like machine off the super high sights, you know put on sights that you could see, but they were essentially match built military guns because there were. The only pistol they had access to were 1911s, so those were the best 1911s that they could get because they had all been tuned, tweaked, barreled, you know, whatever. And so they used that. And that, that's why they used it, because that's what they had access to. Mm-hmm. Uh, but people then go and emulate it for for reasons that you don't have. You're not stuck with that reason. Why, why are you uh, <laughs> you know, why, why are you emulating that? You know, mm-hmm. you're copying somebody that was maybe stuck with it. And so anyway. Mm-hmm. I do get esoteric from time to time, but there you go. So the, the person that is opposite of that that I admire most is John Farnham, because every single time I see the man, he's got a different pistol on. Hmm. So over the years, I've seen John carry uh, Glocks, the old <clears throat> SIG 250, 
yeah. like 13, 14 years ago before Ernest Langdon made them popular, a Beretta PX4, mm. um, an HK USP. And, and his attitude was, oh, it's a new gun. It's out. It's time for me to test it, learn it, and students will have it. That, that was it. it. I remember one day I asked him, I go, what do you carry? He goes, SIG 250. And I go, well, what do you think of it? He goes, it's a gun. <laughs> I was like, uh, okay. <laughs> and he was right, right? And did the pistol run? Yes, whatever. Now, that that's kind of an opposite extreme. And he's an instructor's instructor. You know, his mm -hmm. goal is he lives and has lived for the last 50 years just to instruct. Yep. So to him, that is the bigger goal. For you, you know, it's instructing, but it's also this, like, I'm trying to reach these certain goals. And you can't do that by switching guns, Willie. No, you just can't. Now, yeah. you know, it, it, it all depends on what your goal is. And then thusly, that's who you emulate. Yeah. Kind of, or follow, or, you know, logic, or whatever makes sense, you know, in a, in a way. Yeah. Um, mm. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. Good, good thoughts. And um, some history lessons, too. <laughs> I, I don't know if we've hit a magic number, but I'll tell you the, maybe the last one. And this is the thing is that um, as a result of some of these other things, uh, the, the other things that we mentioned, w the end result is actually the worst of all things. And it's really not a fork, it's a dead end. And what it is, is as a result of these other things, they are not open to something else. Mm. To the extent that the person that they think they're adhering to would probably buy into it. But they, they, they don't know that. And they, they'll go with... Um, uh, you know, I, I love saying this on Facebook. I'll go. I, I, I love saying, dude, that 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 will get you killed on the Internet superhighway. <laughs> because, it, you know, it, it's 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 just this like arbitrary, nonsensical kind of like uh, this person or that organization or this unit or that department doesn't do it that way. And I've had people tell me this sometimes right. in training. Well, they don't they don't do it that way. Well. Okay. I, I don't know what to tell you. Um, yep. they, they don't. Yep. Um, I, I mean, the, the thing I'm kind of taking away from all of this and, and to your point, I mean, on this last point, um, you, as far as like not being open to other things or open to other ideas, like critical thinking is an important skill in all aspects of life. And it's especially critical and important in this realm as well i mean understanding and asking the question why why is something done the way it's done why do i do things the way i do and so understanding the why behind the things we do and the gear we carry yeah right yeah absolutely um um you know you 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 you, you, you later find out that uh, you know, the certain person did a certain thing a certain way for the certain reason that totally doesn't apply to you. But you've been adhering to it <laughs> mm -hmm. for, for no logical reason. Um, and and um, I think what people lose sight of oftentimes is, is context. It's like, well, what am I learning and who am I learning it from? But to what end? So, yep. um, uh, I... Um, the, the way I try to explain it to uh, when we're teaching firearms instructors is, is uh, you know, to make to kind of make it easy to, for people to understand is I tell them that what what we're doing now 
in the firearms world is the equivalent of MMA. Mm -hmm. We really don't, we really don't care. Um, like which grandmaster you studied under it, it, none of that matters. What matters is, um, we will teach you the best way we know how until, you know, it's like the old, uh, snap lad. We found better stuff, you know, until we find better stuff. And when we find better stuff, that's what we'll teach. But, but yeah. there, there's no, like, you know, it, it's like looking at the old UFC days. It's like, does Kung Fu be karate? Who cares? The, the whole thing is, is that you, this style may not even have a name. It's, can you accomplish like these four basic tasks, you know, you know, which is like punching, kicking, grappling, and you know, whatever. Okay. That's yeah. it. I don't care how you arrive at it. And that's what we're to here to teach you. This, this is not like a system with a name. It doesn't have a guy's name on it. It doesn't, um, it, it, it it's the best way that we know how to teach you a, to teach and how, and, and what to teach and what's important to teach. And as we learn more and we validate it, and we don't just do it because we watched it on a YouTube video. Um, that th That's what we'll do. Mm -hmm. And that's what you need to do. And so one of the things that we teach that's kind of interesting is we teach a firearms update school, a firearms instructor update. So the thing is, is that when you go to firearms instructor school here in Texas, it, it's, it's pretty uh, cold hearted and it should be. First thing you do that morning, we don't even say hello. Well, we do say hello. But we don't, we don't introduce ourselves. We don't even make them do registrations. We don't take their money. We give a safety brief. We ask them if they have 100 rounds with them. And we go to the range. And the only course of fire that is mandated by the Texas Commission on Law Enforcement is the firearms instructor. Your, your agency qual is just a set of like, um, uh, you got to have this and you got to have this and you got to have this. But there's really only one course of fire that is set, and it's the firearms instructor. Mm. Okay, they have to shoot it. They have to shoot a ninety, and they get two tries. Mm. They don't. They go home right then. Yep. And ev everybody that and on average, uh, the average is we lose one third. Sometimes we've lost as much as sixty percent. Mm. Sometimes only twenty percent. But. Um. So there's a test for that. There's a, there's, I'm, I'm, this has a, this story has a, a purpose. A purpose. <laughs> so these guys became farms instructors. Uh, you know, uh, when we teach the update school, some of them have been farms instructors for ten years at their agency. They're their lead, you know, whatever. So we started teaching this farms instructor update, a three day class. And the first time we ever taught it, my the, my training partner. Uh, you know, we had everybody introduce themselves and, you know, some of them were like, hey, you know, we, we do we do we do three gun matches. We do this. We do that. You know, and and we kind of looked at each other and he looked at me and goes, are we going to have anything to teach these guys? It was the first time we taught that update class. Mm. And I said, I tell you what, when we come back from lunch, let's shoot the instructor call. Half of them failed. Wow. OK. And these are all guys that are minted instructors with experience. <laughs> they, they, they couldn't pass the instructor call mm -hmm. and so it's kind of like uh you know you are uh you know uh, w once an instructor always an instructor you don't ever have to keep anything up again and and uh it's kind of like a dead end with some people it's like that's it i've reached this thing that i need to reach i know what it is that needs to be taught and then um 
they, they just won't adapt to anything. They won't, they just won't adapt to anything. And I, I, you know, on the one hand, I think it's like normal kind of human behavior, but on another part, I think it's, it's worried about having your ego hurt. Yeah. Um, um, uh, you know, I taught a class recently and, you know, and I'm, you know, usually shoot real well and I did shoot really well. And one guy did one drill better than me. He's like, ha I beat you. And I said, good. <laughs> that means I did something right. <laughs> you know, when you have an instructor that's upset that he beat, you know, that you got beaten in a drill. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Then I think that you have a misunderstanding of why you're there as an yeah. instructor. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Not sure how articulate or strung together that was, but there you go. <laughs> uh, man, there's a lot. I mean, I think there were a lot of nuggets uh, for sure for for folks uh, to uh, pay attention to, and, and it was kind of taking me back in some ways. I mean, I was taken back to uh, my first. Uh, you know, in Colorado, we've got our post organization, uh, and going through post and I actually did, I was a little bit backwards from a lot of other instructors. I started off in post, um, carbine instructor. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember, I, I didn't know much about it at the time. Like I just was, I actually was filling a, a slot mm-hmm. of a guy from our agency that, uh, he actually injured his hand the night before. Yeah. And he's like, I can't do this. We need somebody to, to fill a spot. And I was like, uh, I guess I can clear the schedule and all right, let's do it. Yep. And, and so I was able to go. And very first thing, it was kind of like what you described. Hello, how are you doing? All right, grab your gear, out to the range. You're shooting the qual right here, right now. Not the instructor. We just had to shoot the regular qual first. Okay. Uh, the instructor qual came later because, again, we were to be minted instructors. But I think we still had, I passed it. It was fine. It wasn't that difficult for me at the time. Uh, although I remember being kind of nervous because I was in a class of 13 with like most of them being SWAT guys. And that was not me. And I was like, oh boy, I'm, I'm the little guy here, you know. And uh, But there were two guys that didn't pass the, uh, the regular yeah. carbine qualification course of fire. And I was like, oh, you know. And they got a second try. They all got through the second try. Thank goodness. Yeah. But then we got to the end, you know, and, and the last day too was very similar. Okay. Going out, you know, first thing in the morning, we're going out shooting the instructor qual mm-hmm. and a couple guys didn't pass the instructor yep. qual. Um, dude, the other thing that really resonated with me was, uh, um, you know, understanding context and yeah, I have a, a bit of a saying that I don't know whether I've, put a trademark on it or anything like that, but it's just a, a, something that I use. Uh, and I reference sometimes in posts that I make or in hashtags, but, uh, and that is context based principle focused. And that is my, got it. that is my, that is my goal as an instructor is to always present information to students that is based in context in other words, here's why we do what we do, and then focused on principles, meaning that, hey, there's there may be multiple ways of achieving this thing, mm-hmm. um, but let's understand the principles behind it and not be so, um, you know, locked into specific techniques. Yeah. 
And, and I mean, that's what I try to, you know, I try in my own curriculum as I'm reviewing things. And even with my own understanding as a shooter to look at what I do and what I teach and how I teach it and ask the question, is this too focused on a particular technique? If so, why is there a specific reason? Right. And sometimes, because sometimes there are, sometimes there's techniques that, there's only maybe a handful of ways of doing things. Um, other times it's, well, are there other ways to be explored? And the more we understand as shooters, as self-defenders, this could apply to uh, hand-to-hand, you know, MMA, BJJ, Absolutely. any of that kind of stuff. The, the broader our, our understanding of our, um, this, this, whatever our, uh, What's the word? Our trade craft is the broader our understanding is, the better we can make informed decisions about and, and understand the reasons why we do what we do. So, I, if I was to sum up a lot of what we talked about here today, like that's kind of what I I think that's what I'd sum it up as. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, one one other thing occurs to me is. Being goal-oriented in your training is very, very important. Mm. But it is also a huge pitfall that you have to be careful of, which is that, which it's not this, it's many things, but it's like this. It's, this is what I've noticed is that guys that, you know, have a natural whatever, let's say it's speed. You'll probably see that they just keep working on getting faster. Okay, and you know if, if you give them a tough target at twenty five, they don't perform well on it, and then they will to give you something that's like, yeah, that's actually not important, and then they'll give you a statistic, and you know to quote the old saying, there are lies, there are damn lies, and then there are statistics, right? <laughs> and and so, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and then, then, you know, you, you, you know, some guys are, uh, you know, very accuracy based and, 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 and so on. And, you know, when you're, when you're, when you're trying to instruct them and they have a, a three and a half second draw out of their duty rate to first hit and you're trying to, you know, shave a good second and a half off of that. Yep. And they'll tell you, look, speed is what it's about. It's about accuracy. Well, those are all like trite, like, you know, it all matters, right? And so the trap that I'm trying to refer to is that we keep um, going down a road of getting better um, when it's hard to say what's good enough, okay? It's hard to say what's good enough. But I will say this, that uh, our mutual friend, Brian, Brian's a great all-around shooter. Okay, but he was a very, very competitive PPC shooter. So when he was in that mode, okay, I mean, this is a guy that you know, you know, stroking a double action revolver and hitting X after X after X at twenty-five yards was at one time in his life of supreme importance. Mm-hmm. The reality is, it didn't really screw up his shooting. It's helping him to this day. But. Yep. But unless you're working on something like that for a particular reason, you have to broaden out, you, you know, what you're doing. And so, you know, I tell people, um, you know, um, 
well, what, like, what, what, you know, we test people's like, okay, uh, you know, be it concealed or uh, duty or open or whatever, doesn't matter. Pick a draw time. So let's call it, um, let's call it um, from concealment, right? Your mode of concealment. Mm-hmm. So j- just for grins and giggles, uh, carrying concealed, seven yards, uh, uh, good, you know, g- good torso hit. Give me a number for you. And don't be shy. For me, like what, uh, like realistic performance or yes. so realistic and like oh when when the planets have lined up and magic sure. happens. Sure, uh, when the planets align, uh, point nine. Okay. Realistically, and, and like 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 on demand. Consistently, I can yeah. do it all day long comfortably in like one oh five to one point one. Okay. You're faster than me. Um, when 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 my stars align, man, I hit like a nine eight, right? A one oh two. Yeah. But I can give you like uh, a one eighteen, one seventeen, right? You know, from concealment, right? Okay. Here's yep. the thing, right? Is the thing is you work on all kinds of your parts of your shooting, but we know guys that don't. So mm-hmm. so let's say they get to like they can give you a good hit in 130, but they they can't they, they cannot shoot anything one-handed, let alone weak-handed. Yeah. Well, look, man, don't don't keep wasting not wasting, but spending more time and ammo uh, 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 trying to turn that 130 into a 120 when when you cannot hit strong hand only or weak hand only, or you can't hit at 25 or whatever that it is. There are only so many training hours. There are only so much training, you know, time, family time, ammo, whatever. The whole idea is to be well-rounded and just keep working on the individual parts unless you're like in the business of like, you know, when Brian was shooting PPC where, no, he had to focus on the certain thing. But other than that, um, I see people that just keep trying to, to shave thousands when I see a glaring hole in their game. Mm-hmm. It's like, dude, I'd be so happy with a 1.5 second draw with you if mm-hmm. you could do these three other things. Yep. You, you can't. So that that's kind of like, um, uh, so like I said, it's kind of like goals are very important and they're very important because we can, we can, we can actually chart our progress and not just turn money into noise, you know, yep. but yep. don't lose sight and, and, of what this is about. Yeah. Agreed. And chasing things for the sake of chasing specific, you know, high level things. Um, yeah. To your point, you're, you're missing out on other opportunities. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, and, I agree with that. And the last thing is not a bad fork in the road, but it's a just a generalized piece of advice is broaden your training horizons of who you train with, assuming that you know they're good. And it's not hard. It's not hard mm-hmm. to find out. I mean, you know, th- this is not this is not under NSA lock and key. You know, mm-hmm. this is, the you know, <laughs> the days of the Internet now. <clears throat> Whatever type of training you want to take, it's easy to find. There's several guys that do it, and you know that's why I've trained with, you know, um, you know a guy that uh, is just a pure 100 percent, 100 percent world class competitive shooter, and it's not and it's not Rob. Didn't think. We'll move on. But the thing was, was that I did take his class and I did learn stuff. And all he was about was better, faster, 
moving your feet, how to do this, and so on. Now, that, that's not my business, and that's not my focus. But it was a good class that I learned some, something from. I took, a, I took a few nuggets from there. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not going to keep going down that road. But, it, you know, broadening my horizons is, well, once in a while, it's good. It's, um, yep. you know, I, I, I've, I've really, I've really, um, I've learned from that. And, and training with Rob Latham is just a, is an awesome experience because, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure that Rob has ever written a lesson plan in his life. Um, <laughs> uh, kind of the opposite of how you stated your goal. But in terms of what he teaches, he, he, he does it better than anybody because the two times I've trained with him, that what he does is he, he, he gives you a principle and he wants to get you there. And then when he looks over here and he sees something going on over here that's like not right and it's a teaching moment, then he'll go that way because he just feels like it's all part of the pie. And yep. so that showed itself. So let, let, let's address that. Yep. And so there's a place for that too. Um, uh, there's a place, you know, for lo- lots of really good instructors and, you know, broaden your horizons, uh, uh, train with different people. Um, you know, uh, I, I don't do it very much anymore because my body's getting old. Uh, and, uh, I was never, uh, a, a good, uh, grappler, but I learned after taking PPCT in the Academy that, yeah, <laughs> to say that. so I started doing jujitsu. <laughs> Right. And to this day, I know the very first instructor that I trained with, and I still train with him. Like every five years, I break down and go, "Okay, I'm going to go back for six months." <laughs> yeah. I'm never going to have more than I don't know more than three stripes on my white belt or yellow belt or whatever. <laughs> but for me, what it was about was can I can I out grapple a meth head? Yep. Not can I beat a blue belt? Yep. Now I may run into a blue belt. They're generally not my problem, yeah. You know, and so, so I, so, dude, I, I don't like rolling around on the ground and sweating uh, on a mat, you know, in a hot room. Uh, but every once in a while, it's just necessary, and because it's a hole in my game. How much, how much effort you give it is up to you. It's all a matter of your focus, and we each like what we like. You know, even with firearms training, you know, some people just love shooting carbine and they just maintain their pistol skills, whatever. But just remember, it's all part of of a puzzle. You work on the parts that you kind of don't like to that probably do you more good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I agree with with a lot of that. Uh, And and I've had the pleasure of, you know, training with Rob Latham a few times so I can relate to uh, to what you had to say about him as well. Um, You know, I, I was just thinking, too, that. It, it, and that's why context is important. We got to train realistically yeah. to what what's important for us, the situations we're most likely to find ourselves in. Uh, you know, abide by the eighty twenty rule, meaning like you think of those things that are most likely to be a factor. Don't necessarily yeah. overlook. That doesn't mean we necessarily discount everything else, but apply most of our effort to the things that make the biggest difference, but still give a little bit to everything. I mean, if you look at the world's top shooters, I mean, you you, you brought up a name, Rob Latham, right? Brian Enos, you mentioned earlier. Um, Jerry Michalek, uh, you know, any of these number of guys, Max Michelle, some of these top world level shooters. That's Here's what machine. I can tell you from having watched. What's that? 
I said, that guy's a machine. Yes, he is. Yeah, here's what I can tell you from having personally watched. Well, I haven't seen Brian Enos shoot personally because I don't think he's really I saw done him that back anymore. in the day, like in the early 90s. Yeah. Like, I think by the late 90s, he'd retired. Yeah, he was kind of he got out of it. But I've seen all the rest of those guys I mentioned shoot personally numerous times. Here's what I could tell you about them. Uh, they all have their strengths. They all have it's hard to say whether they're weaknesses, but things that are less strong. Yeah. Um, they are very good at all things, you know, shooting related. Because if there was any one area that was a major weakness, they would not be world champions. Right. I know that's a very specific, yeah, it's a competition focused context, but if you're thinking in terms of whether you're a law enforcement officer or a concealed carrier, like you have to, like, we can't be overly weak in any one area. We've got to be at least competent in the most important areas. Yeah. I think the analogy is valid because, because it's a different puzzle. Yeah, but but it's the same. Um, there, I get to use paradigm. It's the same there paradigm in that it is you are filling in the pieces of the puzzle. And it, be, being a world class championship competitive shooter, it, it, the the idea is the same. Is that if you have th- this hole, yeah, you you yeah you have to address it. And mm-hmm. uh, it, it, the, the puzzle just looks different, but it, it, yep. it's still kind of like the same thing. So. Yeah. Yep. Agreed. Hey man, it's been. Uh, Probably longer than I anticipated. Uh, you know, it said it would, wouldn't be longer than an hour, but we've gone longer than an hour. So, <laughs> uh, of no fault of yours, <laughs> I, I've enjoyed talking with you, and I think that uh, folks will enjoy hearing uh, what you've had to say here in this episode today. I mean, we've had a few a few of them that have stuck stuck with us all the way here through to the end here, and we appreciate you all. Um, here's the thing, and this is a great place to kind of. You know, to a lot of what you've just said in the last few minutes, this is a great place to segue back into uh, and, and remind people about one of our show sponsors, which is the 2021 Guardian Conference. Mm-hmm. And why is that relevant? Because there's like, I don't know, I forget the exact number, but there's like 13 or 14 or I don't know. There's there's a more than a dozen instructors that are going to all come together in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma in September and that's a perfect opportunity to learn from a lot of different guys and a lot of different uh, perspectives. So then that's part of the reason why we wanted to put this together. I think it's got two, two excellent like merits. One is uh, you get, you will learn stuff. You will take stuff. You will take classes. You will take material and you will learn stuff. But furthermore, it it, it is, there, there aren't, there are very few of these conferences like that. But the thing is, is that you will get exposed to people and and then go, okay, now I have an idea of either A, what hole, I have a better idea now of what holes to fill or a better idea of who I want to go train with next. Mm-hmm. So the, 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 the flip side of this that drives me nuts is in law enforcement, we have like our, here in Texas, we have TTPOA, the Tact- Texas Tactical Peace Officers Association. Now, mm-hmm. great organization host lots of excellent instructors. But the thing is, is they have like their conference convention once a year. And when they do, they do, they do this, right? They invite a lot of dudes. Well, Mm -hmm. I know a lot of guys that the only training they, you know, when we talk about training, they go, oh, I've trained with that guy. Oh yeah. When was he here? They go, oh, it's a TTPOA. I go, how long was the class? They go, two hours. No, that's cool that you went and got exposed to that so that you can go, yeah, no, this is something I need. Then go train with them. Mm Mm-hmm. 
not that you got two hour chunks. Yep. So um, conferences like this are really good because you will learn stuff. But furthermore, it's you're going to get exposure to people and and it, it will lead you down avenues of where you want to go study and what you want to learn, to, what yep. you want to study. So yep. it's, it's got m- multiple benefits and they're, 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 they're really a rarity. There's really only a couple of them in the country. Yep. So I'm, I'm, how I, I got lucked into inviting it, being invited to, to do it. I, I think that um, uh, Brian must have like uh, said things that were wildly inaccurate. So, but <laughs> hey, I'm already invited and you're stuck with me. <laughs> and I'm looking forward to it. I know it's going to be a great time. And folks, those of you that are able to join us in Oklahoma in September, I would encourage you to check out Hanny's classes. Uh, it's going to be a great time. So. Yeah. Well, we need to wrap it up and let everybody go. Yes, Hanny, thank you so much for your time. Anytime, sir. And so until next time, folks, a reminder, as you know, we always say on the show, train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care. Mm-hmm.